Hazel Hislop and welcome back to my podcast, Healing Emotions. On this podcast, we're talking about mental health and well-being and how to navigate everyday life challenges while promoting mental health. In this podcast, I want to talk about the impact of some parenting issues on children's mental health and well-being. Now, for most of the people probably around my age group, you might have been brought up with the phrase school days are happy days. And for me, what that meant was that school was the best time of my life. I really enjoyed going to school. You could say I was sort of a nerd, but I enjoyed being learning, but also enjoyed being with my friends. And I think that was the best bit, seeing your friends, having fun, and just really kind of just being completely free. But for some children, that's not always the case. And from my experience of working in the child and adolescent mental health services over the years, it's very obvious that not every child would be able to sit back and say that their school days were happy days. Because unfortunately, many children are struggling with parents who have difficulties. And so some children are not able to have happy days or memorable days of school life because they may they might have parents who are experiencing a number of difficulties for example some parents might have a mental health issue some parents might have a disability or learning disability some parents might be having physical ill health for example chronic illnesses um, such as me or ms or possibly cancer some parents might be experiencing domestic violence and isolation some parents might have been um, be abusing alcohol or drugs. So whatever the difficulty that those parents may be experiencing at that particular time in the child's life, it would have a significant impact on the child's well-being. And for many children, what that might look like, it might show up differently. So I'm going to focus more so on children under the age of 18, particularly children from from 0 to 16 years old and and possibly going over into the teenagers if I a later teenage years if I have time. So it's an assumption that every child every parent should have capacity and should be able to look after the child. But as I've said before, there are times when this is not possible for whatever reason that that parent might not be able to provide that, well, that opportunity to look after the child because of their own issues. For example, as I mentioned before, mental health issues, illnesses, etc. So sometimes when a parent is being assessed, for example, by an organization like social services or in the NHS, what you're looking for is to see whether the parent has capacity, meaning that is that parent able to meet the basic needs of the child. Now, for those who live in the UK, you might remember um, there was a famous case years ago, probably I think it was early 2000, um, possibly 2002, where this child called Victoria Climbier was, um, who died under the care of her aunt, and there was a lot of systematic abuse in terms of neglect, malnutrition, physical abuse, etc. And why this case became so famous is that this child was seen by many different professionals 
over a period of time. She was seen by doctors, social services, the psychological profession, the pediatrician, etc. And no one was able to step in to the degree where they can protect this child. So what the report found after investigation was that um, there was a poor communication between all the different professionals, between the schools, between the medical services, etc. And so the, there was a um, what was recommended under the, I'm not quite sure if this was a law, but the act was called Every Child Matters. And in that document, Every Child Matters, which came out in 2003, there were five basic recommendations for meeting a child's needs. Firstly, the first one was that every child has a right to be safe. Secondly, every child have a right to be healthy. Thirdly, every child should be able to enjoy life and achieve in life. Fourthly, that every child should have right and access to economic needs. And fifthly, that every child should be able to, to contribute positively into society. So those were the basic needs that were outlined in terms of how how we can measure whether a child's needs was being met. And I suppose part of assessing a parent's capacity was to be able to assess whether that parent had the ability to meet the, those five needs of the child. And so sometimes when the, the parent is not able to meet those needs, you may find different degree of um, physical or mental health impact on the child. So I wanted to focus more around the mental health impact on a child who might be living with a parent who is not able to meet their needs for whatever reason, whether that's a mental health reason or physical reason or through domestic violence. So for example, you might find with children, especially younger children, some of the behaviours that they may present with would be bedwetting. And I know that bedwetting is very common in young children, but if the bedwetting is persistent and the child um, it, it sometimes goes up to quite a, a late stage in their life and they're continually wetting the bed or even um, soiling their, their, their underwear. So that might be, you. they might go to school and their underwear, they've got poo in their underwear um, or they're wetting themselves. That could be an indication of a child who is distressed or stressed or who's quite anxious. You may find children who are doing sort of what we call self-harming and that could be very um, light self-harming in terms of maybe picking their, their themselves, like digging their skin and digging their sores or biting their um, themselves or head butting or head banging, sorry, head banging or head butting. Or maybe children who are starting to scratch themselves with their nails and it might then turn out to scratching and harming themselves with objects, um, etc. And then you may find that then increases to really significant self-harm where the child is um, cutting and and cutting themselves in terms of um, with the, the, the intention to um, creates a deep wound on, their, on themselves and for these children they're not doing it because 
as you know, it's famously said that they're doing it for attention. Yes, there might be a minor minority that's doing it for attention, which is very, very small. But most of the time when a child is self-harming, it's because they're feeling that emotional distress or pain. So they're experiencing such intense pain and emotional distress that they're not able to express it or then they're able to talk about it or to share that with anyone. So sometimes by hurting themselves, it gives them a quick relief and a quick sense of feeling better within themselves so that they're able to then go on to just functioning. And so that's another way in which you may um, notice that a child is struggling if they're exhibiting those kind of behavior. Then you may find you have the children who are um, what we call truanting on or running away from school or not, not going to school. And they're constantly, um, you might find them on the road, hanging around, um, not, not, not showing up to school or maybe leaving school early, going to um, hang out with their friends in the mall um, and just not really functioning in school. And so the parent will constantly have the phone call from the teacher to say that your child did not show up in school today. And what that could do is that while it might start off as a tame behavior of a child not going into school, it can actually lead into more serious um, concerning behaviors where that child might then be uh, find, them, find themselves in the wrong group where they're probably in a group of people who are influencing them in a negative way who might be actually um, forcing them to get involved in drugs or even um, to, to get involved in crime or um, petty crimes. So sometimes it may start off as a tame kind of fun thing for that child, mostly teenagers you might find do that and then that becomes more um, significant and worrying. Ch some children um, would be experiencing anxiety and I know I talked about the anxiety in terms of the sleep disorder and the bedwetting and, and the um, soling of the pants. Um, but I'm talking about anxiety in terms of um, not being able to leave the house, having panic attacks, um, making excuses not to go into school, not um, mixing with their peers. So you might have that the type of anxiety which is called social phobia. So social phobia is where the child um, really finds it difficult to, to, to mix and blend with other um, children or peers their age and Sometimes we call them the shy children, but sometimes it's not just shyness. It's actually that there's a fear of being around other people because they think that the, the person might be laughing at them or they're just scared to, to, to open their mouth or to express themselves. So you you can have that kind of phobia, the social phobia, but you can have phobias in, in terms of um, behaviours where the child might start developing so OCD um, behaviour where they just... Um, phobias are wrong, for example, vomiting or um, and being in certain environment where they they feel that it, it's you know they've got to um, do certain rituals in order to manage. So some people might be like they in order to go down the street to back to the shop, they may have to count a hundred times, so they may have to touch um, the mileposts or touch a certain object thousands and thousands of time before they can actually carry out the act and sometimes you may find um, some of those behavior leading to OCD weight obsessive compulsive disorder which is a very common disorder that you see a lot now and you see so much programs on tv with that where um, 
the, the, the child or the young person is compelled to carry out a particular act and it becomes quite ritualistic in a way that they're not able to stop themselves. So those are some of the things that some of the disorders that might be linked to an anxiety. Um, you may find some young people with experiencing panic attack. Um, and in extreme cases, you would find that the young people who are, who become suicidal um, because they, they can't find another way of, of managing or expressing themselves. And the only way out they think is to, to, to um, think of harming themselves or committing suicide. So there is so much um, childhood and um or disorders in young people or mental illnesses can, that can actually be connected to the environment in which, in which they were brought up. Um, and I guess the, this is not to blame parents, but it's just to create awareness within um, our society and within family and, and community that it's really important that the support is given to um, parents and these young people because sometimes the parent is not able to provide the, the basic needs for the train because, as I said, they may be suffering with a mental illness and they are not able to function and may need help and support. Um, and so it's it's not about blaming them, but it's, all, it's about how can we help these children and young people and the parent to be able to to support them so that the child can have the best life possible. There's been a number of research that was done over the years in terms of looking at the relationship between um, parental problems and uh, the emotional issues in children and young people. And um, I'm just looking at a statistic. I think that was around 2010. I haven't found the source yet. But when I looked at it, it was saying that in for with parents with mental illness alone, there was about 10% of the population that were being referred to social services. And of those, um, of that number, 16% was um, in, assessed. And 25% of that were children who had to go through the Child Protection Agency. So that means that this, the cases were so significant that they needed child protection intervention. Some of it went to court. I think 42% of it went to court. So that means that there were care proceedings that would investigate into whether the child should be with the parents still or whether the child should be fostered or adopted. Um, and then of that, it said 63% were led to serious injury or, or death. And that's the, the, of the child. Then there's a, parents with learning disability 0.8% of the population and the cases that led to serious injury or death was 15%. For the parents with alcohol and drug issues, it was 5.8% of the population. And from that, 33% of that um, referral led to serious injury and death. And domestic violence, which... In it's which represented four point sorry four point eight percent of the population. Fifty three, there were fifty three cases, fifty three percent cases of serious injury or death. So this is quite serious. This is quite significant that when a parent isn't functioning, it just shows that when a parent isn't functioning, 
or when there is an issue in in the um, parental relationship and when a parent is not able to meet the capacity of the child the, the knock-on effect is significant it's significant to the point where you can see the child starting to display the distress or the different types of behavior or um, mental health issues within themselves and then that would have a knock-on effect in terms of the way in which they relate to their peers it will have a knock-on effect in terms of their future because it means that they're not able to thrive or to be able to function in school or in relationships and that means that it's the next generation of of parents that we're raising here because if they're not able to function and manage they're the same children that's going to go on to become parents and grandparents and really they haven't actually learned the tools in order to be healthy and well and to be able to parent so it's important why the cycle needs to be to be broken why we have to break the cycle it's important why um the the whole that society as a whole takes responsibility for these young people because it, it, it means that sometimes we may have to step in and offer support it may mean that we may have to recommend these children to different organization for help so i know schools they have um in fact actually from this um every child matter in when when that was um when that came out in 2003 one of the things that came out from that was that every organization it was everyone's responsibility to report to report when someone was being hurt or harmed to report when a child was being neglected and so it's everyone's responsibility, whether it's the school, whether it's the nurse, whether it's the doctor, um, social worker, it's everyone's responsibility for, to, to report and to take a stance and to intervene when a child is at risk. I'm not quite sure how this works in other countries, but I know in, in the UK, this is an important factor. So it means that the possibility of preventing children from being neglected and preventing children from being hurt or harmed is much, hopefully would be much more effective if everyone sees it as their responsibility to step in. And so that might mean that you, if you see a child and you, you see a child being abused or hurt or neglected, you can't keep quiet. You can't pretend it's not happening. You've got to report it you've got to intervene and doesn't necessarily mean that you approach the parent but it may mean that you may need to phone social services you may need to phone the police whoever um in order to create safety and it's not an easy job i mean i've been in situation where i've had clients where they've come into the clinic when i worked in the nhs and they've come in and said or they've been hurt or abused by the parent, whether it's a sexual abuse or physical abuse. And in that moment, you have to believe what they say in that moment and you have to take action. You can't then put that child back in the situation of what they're saying that they've been abused in. You have to contact the relevant services. You've got to make sure that they've got a place of safety to go to and you've got to be able to provide the help for them, but also for the parents, because sometimes many times the parents they, they don't know any better they they don't have the support so you have to be able to educate them and provide the 
therapeutic support, the social support in terms of whether it's housing, whether it's financial ish, financial support, like referring them to, um, for financial support, referring them to um, a therapist, referring them to social services, whatever that intervention, you're always thinking of the child's well-being, but ultimately you're thinking of the family, how do you can support the family and most of the time the intervention is enough it's only in extreme situations that you may find that a child is taken away from the home or child is um or parent is maybe i'm not going to say not punished but a parent has to take responsibility and might not have contact with that child and that's an extreme situation where there's abuse but generally the aim is to work together with the parent and child to provide the best possible service for them to provide health help and support um, and to give every child the opportunity to to look back at their childhood and say my childhood was 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 good was good enough my days in school and in my family were happy days. So I know this was quite heavy today, but I really wanted to um, highlight some of the common issues that children would face and children in families and how really it's not that straightforward way. You may, um, sometimes we blame parents, but it's not always that straightforward. That is the parent's fault. It might be that the parent is suffering or struggling because of a mental illness, because of poverty, because of um, a drug addiction, whatever the case. But in the midst of that, we've got to be able to be compassionate enough to, to say that if we can stop and support this family, if we can stop and refer them to the right services, it's never too late and once there's intervention then things can um the family can then be able to move forward and just function to the best of the opportunity to best of the ability i wanted to bring this um do this podcast because in the last few months i've had so many parents that's referred their children to me children i say children so it could be it's young children but also um I have had referrals up to the age of 20 and um, recently I've had really one significant case where this young man was so, um, he had a, a, a really a, a psychotic breakdown and it was really bad that he had, it impacted on the parents in terms of him hurting the parents. But I think the point of this is that sometimes if we don't intervene early enough, the extreme is that the child might end up committing suicide or harming someone else or harming themselves. And so it's important to intervene. And based on the cases that I've been getting recently in my work, I'm starting to see that there's a theme at the moment where parents are struggling and they're struggling in terms of managing their children and managing the relationship with their children. And um, so there is definitely need there for intervention and help and to offer support. So it would be really um, useful if you can give me your feedback in terms of this podcast and um, let me know if it's made a difference to you. If you can leave, leave a comment or like and share, I would really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. again for listening to this podcast. I hope that you found it useful 
and if so please don't forget to like share or follow me on this platform or why not follow me on instagram at his love page or check out my website www.hazelhislove.com thank you until next time